All right, we are back to podcast. Been a while. After weeks we have Bible study, uh, seems like podcast is a little bit further out, which it is. Uh, but I hope everyone's had a good day in the Lord. And He's blessed us in so many ways and uh, just been so good to us. Great day today. On the Spirit of God, searching for the treasure. And. Uh, I just appreciate how good God is to all of us, and He's better than we deserve, that's for sure. And um, we're going to move right along in Ephesians here, and uh, we will have podcast again on Wednesday night, but we won't have in-person Bible study. I'm going to try to up the frequency in October, try to go every week. There may be a week or so that we we... You know, we we not able to, but that's certainly the the goal in October, uh, in part of November. But then when, because when peak season starts at UPS, which is basically just a month, month and a half, um, I'm kind of limited, and uh, we're already getting up around three now uh, in the morning. And you know, when peak season rolls around, I'll be waking up at one a.m. Uh, a lot of nights, so. Anyway, we're going to take advantage of, of not being in peak season while we can. And uh, so let's go to podcast, Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And the last time, I'll pick up in verse 11, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And... Um, if you remember me talking about that, the role of of each and what what, what they were to do. Of course, the, the apostles were those that had seen the resurrected Christ, and they were the instruments of God in the early church to uh, to be to lay the foundations. Of course, Jesus was the chief cornerstone, but from there, the foundations began to get laid by the apostles, and. Um, and then, of course, the evangelist. The evangelist, that is a, a, a term. You, you don't see the word missionary in the Bible, okay? Um, <clears throat> our office of missionary is really what the Bible refers to as the evangelist here, okay? We've called it a missionary, and um, so it's not a frequented frequently used term as far as the office in a church it's kind of just been renamed by man but the evangelist in this situation now typically what you see in the in the modern church is you've got a missionary and the missionary is does if they're a good one they do like Paul they go to a, a place where God has called them to and they will establish churches there by winning the lost to God. And then they'll move on and establish another church. They don't stay there and pastor for 40 years. That's the office of a pastor. Okay, They establish a church, establish a pastor, and they move on and, and do it again somewhere else. And the evangelist in the modern church is typically um, a, a preacher that is not a pastor, um, and he goes from church to church preaching revival meetings, extended meetings, you know, 
oftentimes in revival type or soul winning type messages. Um, now, here's the thing. In the New Testament, the, the, what we use for the office of the evangelist is, is not really there. It's kind of a two-in-one deal. Okay, two-in-one deal meaning that's what Paul was doing, except he was establishing a church. Okay, so basically, we've evolved the evangelist uh, role in just uh, you know in preaching and in going from church to church, but not establishing it. Just kind of preaching in, coming in, preaching, leaving. Well, that's actually what we'd see Paul doing, but Paul would stay for an extended time. And establish the church. There would be a preacher or pastor called to that church to stay there, and then Paul would move on. So, anyway, we see that office evangelist and some pastors and teachers. Now, they these two are used interchangeably in this passage, and the reason is is because a pastor now they they are different but the pastor must be a teacher he must be he must have teaching ability in fact in in one of the roles for the bishop and again a bishop is a term um that really is it's an overseer so it's 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 the modern day pastor um but when we see when we see the pastor in the Bible, the Bible says he should be apt to teach, okay? Do the working of evangelist. So that that's in Timothy, 1 Timothy. The pastor's not an evangelist. They are two different ministries in the local church, and I talked about this a little bit the last time. Um, the pastor's primary role and responsibility is to teach the flock of God, to teach the church, the truths of the Bible, teach them how to walk with God, teach them the Word of God, teach them what it means to be a Christian. That's that's his role. That's the pastor's role. And um, it says to do the work of an evangelist, meaning there are elements of the past of the pastor where you're you're evangelizing. You'll preach a you know an, an evangelistic style message at times or witness, but the role of the pastor is to teach the people, teach the church. And so we see that now. Then it goes on and says, and teachers. So some t- Because some teachers are not pastors. Um, you know, w- when we do one day get our own building and we will have a, a Sunday school, we will have a, um, a, pa- we will have a teacher, to some teachers. So all the teaching won't be just for me. Um, you know, I've already got folks in mind that I would like to teach uh, classes, Sunday school classes, and, and do that work. Um, so just I'm, I'm telling you that to give you some of the, the backgrounds of the offices in the church. So uh, pastors and teachers. Now, why? Why these offices? Like I said last time, for the perfecting, perfecting of the saints so you see that? The growth, the maturation process of the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are saved people. Not only that, not only the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son, 
of God and to a perfect man until the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're all going to come together in Christ one day. We're not there yet, but we will one day. Now, verse 14 gives another reason God gives us these offices. I illustrated this last time, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So if you're taught right, you can't be caught caught up in just any kind of doctrine that comes along. Um, But speaking the truth in love, which may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, I want to go to verse number 17. This is really, all of this is kind of a, a rehashing of where we were last time. But now I want to jump into 17 and through the end of the chapter. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, so that means from this point forward, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So the term vanity means empty. It means hollow, baseless, uh, void. So Gentiles that are unsaved are walking in, in their lives with an emptiness, with a void, uh, without Christ. And Paul is saying we're, we're no longer, after we get saved, to walk like that. That's not who we are anymore. Not walking like other, other Gentiles walk. Verse 18, this is before salvation, or speaking of life before salvation, having the understanding darkened, being alienated. There's that word alienated again. From the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Quit being mad at sinners for being sinners. Quit fussing at loss for being lost. They're blinded. Their heart's hardened. They don't know the truth. They can't see the truth. They have no illumination to the truth. You cannot clean a fish until you catch it. You cannot clean a fish. Not till you just catch it till you get him in the boat. And you can't make a lost man act like a saved person. No matter how much you fuss at him, no matter how much you tell them what the Bible says, no matter how much you tell them what they ought to do, it is not their nature. It is your nature because he has given us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness, but it's not their nature. So, verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. The term lasciviousness means without rules, without structure, to walk, work all uncleanness with greediness. So, in the lasciviousness, uncleanness, greediness. Verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. This is not what you learned about being saved, this is not what you learned about being a Christian. This is not who you are should and should be. Bible says there, from there, um, verse number 21, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, so Christ teaches us the truth in himself. That ye put off concerning the former conversation. But conversation here means behavior. So you put off 
the old behavior, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you see that? There's where it, there's where it goes. It goes to your mind. I know you've heard Christians are brainwashed. Preachers brainwashing them. He preaches in a way that brainwashes. Exactly. The renewing of your mind. We need to be brainwashed. Our minds need to change. We need to change our mind and idea about what is right and what is wrong. What is acceptable for me to live and unacceptable for me to live. It's all Bible. And that you put on a new man, verse 24, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we there's a notice this, and this goes back to the to the message this morning. There is a putting off and a putting on. There is a putting away and an obtaining thereof. This is an active effort. Okay? God, again, I've already quoted this verse once today. He hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has equipped us with the Holy Spirit. He has equipped us with the Bible. He has equipped us with the church, believers, preacher, you name it, teachers, everything, all offices. So he's equipped us to live for God in this life. Now the effort that should be made by us after we're saved, not to get saved, but after we're saved, is we are to put off the old man, like you would take off a coat. Okay, you come in the house, you take off a coat, and then you put a light jacket on. You take off a coat and you put on a robe. Well, that's the idea here. You physically take off, you take off this old way of life, the old man, the old person, and you put on this new and this living way. That's what it says. Now, he begins to get down to brass tacks about what this new life is and what this new way is. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, okay? I got a question for you. How many lies does it take to make a liar? One. You lie, you're a liar. That A liar is a person that lies. One that's committed a lie. You lie, you're a liar. That's untruthful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't think of... I know people rank sins. I know they do. And the Bible doesn't, but, but people do. You know, the sin, I will say the sin of adultery, the reproach is never to be taken away. The Bible does say that. Does it say you can't be forgiven? But that reproach, that shame that's born, it'll always be there. People remember that. God maybe doesn't, but people will. But as far as the penalty of it, as far as the stigma of it, as far as, you know, uh, the levels of it, there's no level. All sin's the same. But I'm going to tell you, lying, this is this, this, this me, lying is of a different level. Lying is a character, It go, because I know, I know say, lost people that wouldn't lie, that, that are not liars. Because lying goes to the heart and the root of integrity, and, or lack thereof, and character, 
or lack thereof. And so that's the first thing mentioned here. Wherefore, put away, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So to put off lying and make it a habit to now, for always, when you speak, to speak the truth. Okay? I, I find it funny. There's, a, there's several words that are popular. That One of them is literally. People say, he literally did this, or literally. You hear literally, especially with young people a lot. The reason they have to say that is because they're so given to exaggeration that when they're saying something and describing it, they, they will throw like, look, I'm literally being truthful here. It's kind of like a salesperson or a preacher even that uses the phrase or the term honestly a lot. Honestly, honestly. Well, does that mean that you weren't being honest? Okay. Or when somebody says, if I'm being honest, does that mean that when you were talking to me five minutes ago, you weren't honest? That's why Jesus said, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You don't have to go into great detail. You don't have to go into great explanation. Just say yes, no, answer the question. Say what you mean, mean what you say. You don't have to have a lot of fluff, not a lot of explanation. Just don't lie. Simplify it. Be very simple in it. All right. Verse number 26. This one's good. Be angry and sin not. Okay, number one. Anger is not a sin. Jesus got angry. Wrath is a sin. Wrath is uncontrolled anger. Wrath is you lashing out in anger or as a result of your anger. And so the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So it's it's one thing for me to be angry at somebody that's wronged me or committed some kind of act of uh, sin or committed some kind of, you know, something that stabbed you in the back, okay? But it's quite another for me to go lash out at them, tell them off, cuss them out, and whip them or any of the three, okay? Two different things entirely. It says, be ye angry and sin not. You don't let your anger get to the place of wrath where it takes you into the realm of sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, if you are at that place of anger, any place of anger, you and your wife, you and your husband, you and people you love, you and your children, you and a brother or sister in Christ. Let me give you a lesson. Can I tell you a way to keep grudges out of your heart? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What does that mean? Don't go to bed without having made it right or at least attempted to make it right. Because if you do that and tomorrow comes and another day comes, and another day comes. Do you know what that leads to? That leads to uh, resentment bearing in your heart. The longer you let things go without addressing them, the more resentful you'll become in your heart. And I know psychologically you'll say, oh, I'm not in a place to, to say this, or I'm not in a place, good frame of mind to discuss this. Okay, that's psychology. 
That's fine. That's psychology. But the Bible and psychology are two different things. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Before night falls and the sun comes up again in the morning, you should have at least tried to make that issue right between you and whomever. Because if you don't, it can very well fester and be and be made worse. Always say you're sorry before you go to bed. Always forgive. Always you don't know that the person's gonna wake up. You don't know that you're gonna wake up. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Guess what the next phrase is? Neither give place to the devil. I told you. That's how the devil gets in. And I've talked to people. I talk to people about why won't you address this? Why won't you? Well, I, I just at the time I didn't wasn't in the right frame of mind. At the time I didn't want to. Well, that's fine. You might have made it out that time, but how long did you grieve the Holy Ghost in between those times? Grieve not the Spirit of God. How long did you grieve the Spirit of God in between those times? Because that Bible says right there, if you let the sun go down on your wrath then you are giving place to the devil in that situation. You're giving a place to the devil to work in that situation, to work in your mind, to fester, to build resentment and anger. That's what happens in marriages. That's what happens in friendships. That's what happens in relationships. That's what happens in churches. Is people give place to the devil by not making things right immediately or by the end of the day and letting them fester sometimes for years, sometimes the rest of their lives. Verse 28, went from lying to stealing. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Don't steal. Seems obvious, but in our day we've got government stealing, we've got people stealing from each other, it's it's the Bible said here's a here's a fix for that. You want to fix for poverty? Work. Right, work. You want to fix for for not having enough? You want to you want to fix for not having to steal? Work. Look at it. Let him labor working with his hands. Labor. Labor is work. Learn to work. You won't have to steal. You won't have to loot. You won't have to riot. Learn to work. Um, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Oh, we're just talking. But that talk was gossip. That talk wasn't for the edifying. That, that here, watch this. Let's just read this whole verse together. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You should have a People call it a mouth gate. You should have a guard or a gate upon your mouth that before it leaves your mouth, you should check yourself and say, is this good or to the good of edifying? Is this going to work towards edifying? Is this towards building up or tearing down? I mean, there's your answer. Is what I'm about to say, can it be used to tear down or can it be used to build up? There's your litmus test. So 
if you want to know if it should be said or shouldn't be said, can what you're saying be used to tear down the character or the or the situation of another person? If it can, it's not to be coming out of your mouth. It's corrupt communication. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Look, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So how is the Spirit of God grieved? With what you harbor, what you hold in, your resentments, your corrupt communication, your negative negativity, the words you speak that tear down and not build up, those things grieve the Spirit of God. That's what's wrong in our churches. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So, He's sealing you, He's saving you, He's loving you. He's inside of you, so don't grieve Him. Okay, how do we not grieve Him? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put every bit of that away. Put bitterness away, put wrath away, put anger away, put clamor away, put evil speaking away, and all malice away. Verse 32, here's how to not grieve the Spirit of God. I've shown you how to grieve the Spirit of God. Have all this in your heart. Talk negative, talk sinful, talk about people, gossip. Let other people's names come out of your mouth. Listen, here's a good litmus test. If you wouldn't say them in, with them in the room, and it's not for their building up, then it's gossip. That's right. See, I, I remember saying, I remember years ago, I was pastoring, and is it is the church of pastors in the mountains? It's a great church. I've told you that. I brag on it all the time. Still, yet we had to deal with those issues. Every church I've ever seen in my life deals with people talking too much, gossiping too much, harboring issues too much in their hearts. And I remember they would get to say one one lady in particular, young lady, she like, and at this point, if if so and so was here, I'd say in front of them. So it ain't, and and what she was trying to say is it's not gossip because I'd say it in front of them. But hold on a minute, what did I just teach you? I just showed you in the Bible where it says it should be used for edifying. Your mouth, your speech should be used for edifying. So. The, the question is not whether you would say it in their presence or not. The question is, is it to bring build them up or to tear them down? Is it something to the positive or something to the negative? There's your litmus test. And so, if that's how we grieve the Spirit. How do you not grieve it? Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So that's how you do not grieve the Spirit of God, is forgive, be tender-hearted, just as God, for Christ's sake, forgive you. Give the benefit of the doubt. Be the peacemaker. Be the one that, that wants to, to extend the olive branch. Be the one that wants peace. Don't hold the grudges. Keep the bitterness and the, the wrath and the anger out of your heart and you won't grieve the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, grieving the Spirit of God is a real thing, and it's a real serious thing. And that's why we don't see power in the churches.
okay? We're going to rehash this next time. I'm going to drive it even deeper. And uh, it's been the theme. It's been the theme of today, Sunday morning, tonight, and then even Wednesday night, we're going to start back on this. So I hope you've enjoyed Ephesians 4 and part 2. Good night. God bless, and I love each of you.